It's a fine line to walk between culture and productivity, finance. But the way I expressed it to him, I said, hey, it is not all about the numbers, but it is also about the numbers. Because whatever it is you do in your business, however you serve the world, you can't do that if you don't make money. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep Dive. So what'd you do out in Idaho? Well, we went up to a place called Donley, which strangely enough I had always heard about, but it's only 300 people. Uh, it's in northern, well, it's, it's north of Boise, an hour and a half. There's a huge lake there called Lake Cascade, and there's a ski resort called Tamarack, which is okay. a local ski resort. So did some skiing and did not do any swimming, but son has a cabin up there, so we had Christmas and four feet of snow. It was pretty fun. Nice. Well, that's the cabin that he just built recently or bought recently? He bought, yeah. He didn't build it recently. It's on It's on Airbnb. So oh, okay, so he's renting it go out to, regularly? Yeah. Yeah. So he makes you rent it out when you go there? Well, he didn't, but we paid him some money because uh, basically they funded it because they could have had it rented the whole time. Yeah. And instead we occupied it. Man, that's a really pretty part of the country. And you got stuck there for three and a half days, you said? Yeah. Well, we were up there for more than that, but we were due back on a Tuesday night at seven and we got back on a Saturday morning at one due to the... Uh, Southwest Airlines debacle. What do you think about that? I mean, is it um, absurd or is it expected? No. no. Well, first of all, I'm still a fan of Southwest. Uh, they're a profitable airline. They set mm -hmm. a model. They talked about a lot in Blue Ocean Strategies, the book. And, you know, no charge bags. They're not nickel and diming you. And so I'm a big fan. Uh, no charge change fees and all that. That that melted down, of course, I have no insights on that, except that I frequently think when I'm flying how complex it must be to try to route all those people and get the pilots and the crews and the airplanes at the same place at the same time. And, and if there's a shift, it's like a software that would program a soccer tournament with 100 teams, right? I always you thought mean there like ought to be 10,000 teams. <laughs> 10, well, I mean, just a city software. You know, yeah. and who wins what, and they can't do it on that day. They play the same day, and I'm sure there are softwares that do that. But I'm I'm more staggered that that they can run an airline than that it messes up. And yeah. evidently, they they had uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting thought. I don't know how it affects a lot of our listeners, but I do have clients that are this way. There there are really two ways to look at business and business operations. One is from a financial standpoint, people who are concerned with EBITDA and ratios and, and all about how things look for the valuation of the company and uh, private equity firms do this. I have one company that's interfacing with one and it's driven financially. The other way is operations, like how do I take care of things and spend less money on expense and make more profit and the two are related, but they're different. And the reason I brought that up or it came to mind was 
as I read about Southwest, Herb Kelleher, the founder, was an operations guy. He knew the pilots, he knew the crews, he knew the people, he knew what it took, and he was concentrated on operations. The CEO between the current one and maybe two CEOs were financial guys. Mm. They're reading spreadsheets and looking at ratios. And you know I'm all about ratios and spreadsheets, but not to the exclusion of operations. And they neglected the operations. And the way they neglected it, to my understanding, is that they failed to update their software. Software and infrastructure. When it was, yeah, and when it hit, hit the limit, it exploded. And I think they canceled 13,000 flights. And they had people, I mean, it came down to things like you got a crew ready to go in Los Angeles and nobody knows it. Yeah. So he had, the captain has to call somebody. And who's that guy? And how does he put that in the system? So anyway, that was an interesting highlight of the difference between financial thinking and operational thinking. And really, really, really genius, successful business people managed to meld those two. I, I gave a talk on this the other night to a group, and they're very sensitive to the culture and not all about the numbers and all that. And it's a fine line to walk between culture and productivity, finance. But the way I expressed it to him, I said, hey, it is not all about the numbers, but it is also about the numbers. Because whatever it is you do in your business, however you serve the world, you can't do that if you don't make money. Right. Yeah. And, no, it's totally true. Yeah. Did you get to talk to Nick about the uh, the Southwest situation? What were his thoughts? Yeah, that's kind of for what three he, days while I'm sitting there with him. <laughs> that's basically what he consults on and, and does sales for, right? Yeah, he uh, is a technical sales consultant for a company called Quest, and we're going to have the CEO on in the next two months. They're out in California, pretty pretty sizable organization. And when people ask me what Nick does, I say he does technology. And it's, well, what's that, you know? Is that a gas stove, which is an improvement over a wood-burning stove, or what is it? Well, it's everything. I mean, uh, it can be security and firewalls and things like that. It can be somebody who needs to develop an app uh, to run their business or some aspect of their business. It can be people who uh, were ransomware, uh, you know, and they, they have a business on money, and they're, Monday and they're completely gone on Friday. Uh, it could yeah. be some uh, large organization, say a big insurance company is changing out their computer system and their software and it needs to be up what they call five nines, 99.999, which is uh, <laughs> an ideal, there's no such thing. But right. it needs to be up on Monday morning on yeah. some future day, so whatever. And I think Southwest I don't know that Nick has talked to Southwest. Obviously. <laughs> that, that might be a... Quest has 300 or so people available to deploy, but... Uh, and they would do it. If Southwest sure. called them, they go, sure, let's go. <laughs> yeah, we'll be here for a few years. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It would just be interesting to hear from his perspective. You know, I think for you know the small business owners that we talk to fairly frequently, it's not really comparable, but I think that there's any lesson from it. One, if you are not using a system like that, if it's all in your head, you're going to crash. You know, if right. you're just relying on people to call you kind of like Southwest was where, okay, yeah, call me. They're going to this spot. You're not able to track 
and measure what your team's doing and where they're at and how your projects are going using software, you need to get on something like that. Because right. the equivalent for the small business owner is they're sick or they go on vacation right. or they you know, can't show up for a, a while because someone else in their family has an issue. Well, effectively, your system crashed because you're not there. You know, that's that's a great point that you bring up because I was talking about it yesterday and thinking about it today. Is one of one of our listeners' goals for the year, whether you're listening to this really early or even late in the year, ought to be that if you leave town for two weeks and you come back, you're not you haven't you will not have just postponed your work. Right? You still have to do it, you're just doing it two weeks later you will have had systems and processes in place so the work gets done in your absence. Mm. And that's that's a big deal. Matter of fact, I'm suffering a little of that right now, being gone three days longer than I thought, yeah. come back and I have a lot of things sitting here that individually aren't that big a deal, but when taken as a whole, I'm gonna be here all weekend. And yeah, that's That's not being very congruent for a coach who preaches that, but that's the fact. <laughs> And the thing I like about software, Khalil, and this is where you come in, is the way to defeat um, or the way to delegate properly is to have systems and processes and people who can run them. Yeah. Software is systems. I mean, it's yeah. what it is. We, we talk about writing them down, and I usually think English language, you know, or maybe Spanish for Sergio. Yeah. But I think about writing them down. Software is systems. And for a well, guy like me, and this is where... I need a guy like you. I long ago decided I'm not going to try to keep up with the softwares. It, it's yeah. not my strength. There are so many. I love it if I can go to a client and be the guy, but I need somebody like you yeah. who, who can choose and implement and pick the best one. Well, and I think there's danger in that kind of thinking that the software is the system. I mean, yes, there, there are softwares out there that are so specific to your industry, to your trade, whatever it is that will be, in fact, a system for you. But really, I think it's more so that it forces you to create the system and it serves as almost a template for the system. You've still got to fill it in, you know, but it's a huge advantage to have the software to kind of be a guiding post for, okay, this is how we're going to run our our systems for our business. So don't just think that, you know, the danger is they buy the software and they think, okay, now we're systemized. <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works. No, no, no. Don't, it, I don't mean, definitely mean that work. at all. Yeah. I mean, but, a real people don't usually think of it that way, but QuickBooks, of course, mm-hmm. is an entire system. It's a bookkeeping system. You don't have to invent it. But when right. you have it, it it's there. Um, I, I have a prospective client who's been around a long time, and I send out a questionnaire when I work with people on I asked them, how do you keep books? And the answer I got was Excel. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's real and it's not just with books. I mean, you have clients that you talk to that are still on a server and having to pay, you know, thousands of dollars a month for maintenance and, you know, right. worried about the server crashing and losing work and stuff like that. If you're not on the cloud right now, you're wasting money, you're wasting time and energy, and you're missing out on a lot of efficiencies that you could be having. And it's really not that hard. It's way easier to get on the cloud than it is to have a server. So 
that's another thing going back to Southwest that you can kind of take away from it is they were outdated. You know, they're still using a system from the 90s. It's not that you have to be a unit running the most, you know, up to date, most new, flashy thing that's out there technology wise, but you need to be with the times. You know, you don't need to be running a system that's 20, 30 years out of date. You're missing out on too much. You know, that uh, introduces kind of around the corner but you're saying having a server in your office, the people I know who do have servers in the office tend to talk to me about things like, well, I've got to go because something's wrong with the server and we might have lost all these files and I've got to run it. Anyway, they're, they're being IT guys, right? Yeah. And none of my clients are IT. Well, one, no, none of my Maybe clients one. are actually IT guys. Sure, sure. So what they're saying is, okay, I'm going to be a business owner and a, doing whatever I do, but I'm also going to run this computer or, or be an IT guy and, you know, do the updates and all that stuff. Manage the security. And that brings to mind another conversation I've already had this week. Um, this series that we're running right now, we're kind of in the middle of it. We call the advisor and mentor checklist. Yeah. Um, people a lot of times run the server because they assume that having somebody do it for them is either too expensive or too complicated or not worth the effort. A client came to me yesterday and she has um, employed an attorney that, well, Molly, matter of fact, Molly Aspen, who will be on here, I'm not sure of the order, but she'll be on in a week or two. She's an HR attorney. So I had a client who was stressing over some personnel issues, how to handle them, it, you know, what's the proper way to dismiss this person? Do, how much do I have to take before I can say enough is enough? And she got on with the, with the attorney, and the attorney answered her questions, completely unburdened her mind, said this is exactly what you do and how you do it. And it, didn't, it costs a couple hundred bucks, right? She brought up the same point that she had always assumed that health insurance was too expensive for a real small company. So she got with one of our guests that we had on, Holly uh, Pepler, that we had on a few weeks ago, uh, and explained that, hey, really, almost anybody can afford health to provide benefits uh, mm. at a different level. So there are all these assumptions about um, these ancillary things, you know, insurance, uh, health insurance, IT, HR, uh, banking, legal, all those things, oh, I can't afford any of that. Well, you can't afford not to do it because it occupies your mind. And just like I talk about so frequently with bookkeeping, you're not likely to be very dang good at it. So you're going to mm -hmm. spend a lot of time. You're going to get a subpar result, all because you self-deselected the hiring a professional or mentor because you just thought whatever it was, too expensive, don't know how all that so i think there's there's so many misconceptions that people have uh, and that you don't know what you don't know and so it's just so helpful to have those advisors and mentors around because they open up your mind to so much that's out there that you're not aware of and can help guide you in an easy way i did this for you recently martin you're you've been so outdated in how you search for things you just you go to google.com oh. and you search oh. for things but I introduced chat GPT to you uh, right. a couple weeks ago, at least. How has that changed your, uh, your search? 
happens. Well, why don't you tell people what that is first? Well, I'll let you describe it. You're, I mean, it's always better well, to hear it in simpler yeah, forms. Yeah, I'm, per, I'm pretty cutting edge, man. It's a artificial intelligence. I don't know. I don't want to call it a search engine, but it's an it's a way to tap into artificial intelligence. And you go to the site and you phrase a question or make a statement or ask for an outline of something, and it mm -hmm. searches. Uh, I was surprised to find it actually only searches a database that goes through 2020. It 21. doesn't actually 21. Okay, mm -hmm. so it doesn't. And it's actually, actually being search. updated like it adds like a couple months every week or something like that. Oh yeah, so it's like it's and, catching up. And it's given me some answers that I said you're not right, and I put and thumbs you, down. And, and they say, well, what should it have said? And then I tell them. So uh, it reminds me, my father was, uh, he wasn't arrogant, but some people might think so. But we always had a dictionary, a well-thumbed dictionary, which I realized I used every day. I've got one in my house until Google came out and I realized <laughs> I hadn't touched it. But anyway, he'd look at a definition in the dictionary, cross it out and write one in. <laughs> that is not correct. So anyway, I'm doing the same thing in chat AI. I, I'll, I'll just give you an example of a question. Uh, my wife has a speech language pathology clinic. Listeners probably know that. And they're as scarce as hen teeth. They're hard to, hard to come by. Yeah. So I just wrote the question, how to attract and keep speech language pathologists? That's not a very pointed question. And it right. gave me about four paragraphs. You know, point one, point two, what they like, what they want, what they're looking for. And it was a great, it had I refined my question more and more and more, I'd get better and better answers. But it, I'm trying, I also have had some math questions that I won't dive into. Let's, but let's do really one live. Let's do one live. Give me a question. No, you What's give a... me the question. I'll do it. The question's hard. <laughs> okay. Okay. How to run a podcast. Okay. So I'm going to type that in. How... Uh, that's I'm gonna how to keep people engaged in a podcast how to keep how to keep contract listeners engaged. yeah engaged uh, to your podcast episodes right let's see what it says so this is I'm searching this just as if I was on Google but I'm going to right. chat.openai.com link will be right. in the show notes you can create a free account and you're basically chatting with artificial intelligence this artificial intelligence has basically a huge database of every single thing that's on the internet and has studied it and learned it so that it understands what's on the internet up to, I think it's up to December, 2021. So it's a couple years be or a little over a year behind. Um, so, so I'm going to say, how do you, how to keep listeners engaged to your podcast episodes? And it has told me. And it's typing as you're watching it. Yeah. It types it out as you're going. Yeah. Um, there are several ways to keep listeners engaged in your podcast episodes. One, start strong. Begin your episode with an engaging introduction that hooks your listeners and makes them want to keep listening. Two, tell a compelling story. Use storytelling techniques like Martin likes to to keep your listeners interested in the content of your episode. Uh, number three, keep it focused. Stay on topic. Avoid rambling. We do a terrible job Oop. of that. Oops. <laughs> As this can cause listeners to lose interest. If you're still with us, thank you. Uh, four, vary your delivery, different tones, pacing, inflection to keep your listeners engaged and to, listen, and to keep things interesting. Number five, interact with your listeners. We try to do that, but it's really hard to keep our listeners uh, interacting with us uh, by asking them questions and requesting their feedback. Number six, edit and produce the episode professionally. Seven, end with a call to action. So 
anyways, those are pretty good hey, answers. I know what our call to action is going to be, and I'll tell you at the end. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you just hook people? <laughs> well, no. Here, refine that one more just for fun. How to write a good hook to engage podcast listeners. Okay, how to write a good hook to engage podcast listeners. If you've stayed with us at this point, you're following this, you know, the way that this varies from Google is that it's, I don't have to search through the Google results to find the answer that I like. It's just giving me what they think is the best answer in a concise format. And so it's much faster. It's almost like having a um, artificial assistant um, that you can just ask questions, but it goes even deeper. So I think this applies really well to specific jobs, in my opinion. Um, I was talking to a friend who's a teacher. And what we did is we took um, his court for his students, the textbook is digital, so he can like copy and paste an entire chapter. So I was sitting down with them and we, we copied and paste a chapter from his textbook and said, create a 30 question quiz based <laughs> on this text and cop and paste the text in there. And it gave 30 questions for a quiz that he could just use, you know, and yeah, sure. He can go and tweak that um, if you, if he needs to, but it's a starting point, which is so helpful. And I think that's what, you know, just like we were talking about with systems for software earlier, you can use this so effectively inside of your business as a starting point for so much. Right. You're trying to run a meeting on team building. Hey, can you create an agenda for me for a team building, a, a detailed agenda for a team building meeting inside a small business? And it's going to give you a template of what you can use. And it's a starting point. And I think that's where it's really effective for business owners. I've used it to write an article uh, for a, for one, for actually for CFC. Uh, if you ever go to our website, you'll start to see more articles inside of our episodes. Um, and it's actually really effective. So you can actually send a YouTube video, summarize this YouTube video for me or write an article well, based on this YouTube video. Let's do this. You write an article, you get open AI to write an article for you. And yeah. being uh, ethically pure, you need to cite that. Okay? That's a question about- I had. So I went to OpenAI and said, how do I cite an article written by OpenAI? And it told me. What did it say? It, well, it gives you a, says, based on resource search done on OpenAI, and it gives a link. And so, you know, it's not me trying to say, oh, yeah, I wrote, I wrote that. By the way, just... You know, we're talking about giving you a general idea and what's different than Google. You you can type in those things and then sort through, like you said, or it selects. But I'm not a coder, but it will do this. How do I write a code? How do I write a query in COBOL that will sum two numbers and add tax? I mean, so, that, that's so base. And it'll do it for you. Yeah. And I had one. This This is really different. It's on the finance side. We don't need to talk about it much, but there's a principle called net present value and internal rate of return, and that's come up with one of my clients, and so we're talking about it. I know how to do that, and I know how to do it because I got an MBA, and I really haven't had to do it since because it's not anything our listeners generally need to worry about. Right. But I wanted an explanation of what it meant, Mm. okay? And I wrote a query that said, 
if I have this internal rate of return, does it mean I got this plus this plus this? And it gave me an answer and corrected with subtleties some of the things that I, you can't do that on Google, I don't think. You can go to Google and say, what's a net present value? And it'll tell you the definition of that. Or you right. can ask, what's an internal rate of return? And it will give you a definition. It will not explain the subtleties. Yeah. And I asked it to explain the subtleties, and it did. So I use uh, OpenAI, which also, for some reason, is chat GDP. Same takes you to the same place. I think that's yeah. the database. Chat.openAI. Yeah. Well, I don't even think you have to do the open AI. Chatddp.com takes you to the same place. Right, but, right. But anyway, um, it was, I use that more than I use Google now since you showed that to me, I which know, is I, how I, we started this because you changed my, I, that makes me kind of cutting edge, right? It kind of does. Hip. Yeah, Pretty you're hip. using a MacBook Pro, chat GPT, mm -hmm. GPT. All due to an influencer in my life. <laughs> Who the, if I could remember his dang name. Oh, Khalil. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't do any of those things. Well, it's a really cool tool. Definitely go check it out. See how it applies to your business. Um, and I think that uh, I, I've been using it a lot as well. And it's, it's really fantastic. Um, and I think it's only going to get better and better. And I think AI is going to become a, this, I think 2020, is going to be the year that we really start to see AI in our everyday work lives a little bit more. And then even in our everyday lives, where it's just, it's connecting to so many tools. Like you're going to see a lot of the software that you use, including your email. I mean, like right now I could do write an email for me, uh, telling an employee that I have to let, uh, fire them. Let's do that. Write an yeah. email Ooh. for me to fire an employee for uh, poor performance, notifying them that uh, tomorrow or today will be their last day. All right, let's see what we got. Dear employee, I'm writing to inform you that your employment with company will be determined effective immediately. This decision is made due to your consistent poor performance and failure to meet the expectations outlined in your job description. Despite the efforts made by the management team and your colleagues to support and assist you in your role, your performance has not improved to a level that meets the needs of the company. As a result, we have decided to terminate your employment. Today will be your last day at the company. Please make sure to return any company property in your possession, including keys, badges, equipment, etc., before you leave. We appreciate the time you have spent with us and wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Sincerely, sincerely, your name. I mean, sure, I could have written that, but it would have taken me 20 minutes probably, realistically. Well, yeah, you have to, that blank page, uh, editing is much easier than looking at a white piece of paper, metaphorically yeah. speaking, and saying, uh, right? Uh, also, that's probably, that's pretty pedestrian, yeah. uh, meaning, not, you know, not particularly subtle or insightful. That would be, require an attorney to look at it, things like that. But it, that's what we anticipate getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it, another one, but we don't have to. Another one we don't have to do, but comes to my mind anytime there is a termination involved is, give me a list of all the things I got to get back. You know, remember, shut off the email, get the keys, Let's do get that. the laptop, uh, sign a release form. What do I need to uh, remember? Do um, immediately upon terminating an employee. Well, that's. 
terminating an employee. What do I need to do upon immediately terminating an employee? Let's see what it says. Yeah. Okay, when terminating an employee, there are several steps you should take to ensure the process is handled smoothly and professionally. Inform the employee of the decision. Um, I'm not gonna read the explanation of that. Collect company property. Um, and then terminate access to company systems, um, including email, database, other relevant system, uh, systems. Review and pay out final wages their final paycheck plus unpaid vacation or sick time. Communicate the news to relevant parties, such as employees, manager, team members, uh, clients. Um, make sure to handle this information with discretion and sensitivity. Document the termination, uh, including the reason for the termination and the steps taken during the process. This can be useful in event of any legal disputes. I mean, it's not groundbreaking information, but it was such a fast answer. No, but it's going to get better oh, and better. Yeah. yeah. Change the locks on the well, door. You and know, what I like is stuff, going so. into even um, going into detail. So, like, let's go into um, terminate access to company systems. So I'm going to ask the chat GPT to please go into detail of what... I need to do when terminating access to company systems. Uh, for after firing an employee. And then it goes into greater detail. So it's going to says company's data, intellectual property, change passwords, um, including for email, social media accounts, and other company systems, revoke access to all company accounts for any online tools, remove them from company email lists and distribution groups which they belong to, um, company-wide resources such as intranet, shared drives, or databases, their monitor access to company systems uh, so they don't have authorization to that anymore. Anyways, it just goes into more detail. And so you can refine and refine. Right. The, the, another cool thing that I've seen, Martin, on this is companies that have a knowledge base, meaning like if you have a frequently asked questions, for example, uh, on your website, some companies only will have five questions there, but some companies have hundreds of questions. You can copy and paste those questions and ask the chat to learn that. And then once it knows that, you can install that chat bot from OpenAI onto your website Ooh. so that when a customer comes to your website so and person. asks a question, it's going to know everything from your frequently asked questions and be able to answer it for you. And then wow. it, it can be used as a database for even an employee who's working there to ask a question. They'll ask it, and the AI will be reading it from the database of FAQs to then answer the question for the employee to then assist the customer. So pretty, wow. pretty wild. Um, yeah. Let's move on from, from OpenAI. I think it's a really cool tool. Something I saw really fascinating, interesting, uh, fascinating for people on Twitter um, was from a, a guy, this is John Matzner. Um, I'll post to him in the show notes. But he talked about how he helped grow a service bit revenue, service business revenue by 500% uh, in about a year. And one, there were several different things. It wasn't just this, but one of this, processes that he implemented was what he called the Smokey the Bear process. Um, and Smokey the Bear has three levels of, um, you know, danger zones. 
Oh, fire, yeah, fire danger. danger. Yeah. There's uh, red, yellow, green. Red is like, okay, you can't have a fire. Yellow is, you know, heightened risk. Um, and then green is like, it's good to go. You can have a fire uh, that's controlled safely. But he implemented it for his leads. And so many contractors don't really have a qualified lead definition for their company. Um, maybe they have it in their head, but really they're just taking any work they can get. And they're so focused on revenue. We've talked about this so much on the podcast, how if it's a sale, it's a sale. And um, there's, there's some danger with that, but then there's also some truth to it. And so, yeah, like when you're in the uh, green zone, uh, well, I need to back up a little bit, see if I can explain this right. He has, a, he has three definitions of a qualified lead based upon where they're at in their company. And he uses that process of having a red, yellow, green system. So yellow is their consistent uh, qualified lead. And it's someone who has a project that's at least $1,000, right? So we're going to come out and replace an electric panel. It's going to be over $1,000. Um, they need it. They want what we sell. They live within 60 minutes of our warehouse and they're actively interested in our pricing or in our uh, services, not just shopping prices, right? That's their de standard definition of a qualified lead. But that changes based upon where the state of their company is. If they're extremely busy, then they go to red and they don't, ex they're a qualified lead for them is a project of $5,000 or more. They don't accept anything that's less than that okay. because it's a waste of time. We don't need to be doing $100 jobs or $1,000 jobs whenever we're busy and people are working overtime. We need jobs that are much higher value and they need to be within 30 minutes of our warehouse, not an hour because we're so busy. But then there's times when it gets really slow, like maybe during the holidays. Well, we go to the green level where we're completely open. It's a it's a hundred dollar job, bring it on. It's ninety minutes away, bring it on, because we're paying our guys regardless. We need to keep them busy somehow, right? So I thought that was a really interesting process to go through inside of your company is understand what those zones are for you. Of hey when our, we're really busy, when we're slammed, when we're low on capacity, whenever we have infinite capacity, or not infinite, but our capacity is wide open because it's really a slow season, um, whenever we're just at table stakes, understanding what those zones are for you, but then also having a different definition of what a qualified opportunity is or a qualified lead uh, so that you can have the right kind of work in place for your business. And then you can communicate to your team, hey guys, we're in a red zone. So we're not accepting any jobs. You tell your, your office staff, your employees that are on the jobs, um, and then, no, hey, we're yellow zone this week. Or, no, hey, it's wide open, guys, green zone. Take on anything. Start doing some outbound calls for business. I think that's, that's brilliant. Probably most of our listeners do that, as you said, in their yeah. head. But to define them, write them out, and, and then capture it by saying red, yellow, or green is brilliant. Yeah. Done, done with intent rather than just inertia. Exactly. And I think that it really helps align the team. Like if we know what zone we're in, we know what our focus is. And I would think even as an employee, if I hear the management say, hey, we're in a red zone, I kind of feel like recognized, like I'm working my ass off and 
the manager recognizes it isn't going to give me this crappy job that I'm not going to get paid on that well. But they're saying, no, like you guys are working really hard. We're slammed right now. You know, and right. it allows you to also do some other things for your employees during that time. Hey, when we're in a red zone, we also, you know, cater breakfast or I don't know. We, we open it up and we, we pay a little bit extra or something like that. We, are, we're, we have a bonus structure during the red zone, you know, um, a lot of different wow. things that you can do. So really interesting. Can I have somebody on the podcast? Martin, I think I'm going to exclude you from the conversation because it's going to be at a different time than our normal recording. But um, okay. that who is who helps grow Twitter accounts? Uh, he's really well versed in Twitter and ghost rights for people and stuff like that. But I'm going to talk to him about the value of Twitter and I've mentioned it to you several times, but that's one of the uh, the technology adoptions that you haven't taken on, Martin, is being on Twitter. Uh, but yeah. well, I'm, I'm but on it. It is but uh, it is one anything. of the most valuable resources out there, and so we're going to talk about the value that you can find there, how to um, how to use Twitter as a business professional, um, and then if you want to join Twitter as a professional and add content and be a part of conversations, how to do that effectively. So. Hopefully listeners enjoy that, but it's, it's absolutely my favorite social platform ahead of LinkedIn. And then I would go LinkedIn. So, um, Martin, last thing that I want to talk about today is how are you feeling about 2023? Uh, I'm really excited for, uh, for our businesses, uh, excited to be alive. <laughs> really 2022, uh, was a better year than expected for all of my clients, I mean, we all kind of thought maybe things were going to go to hell in a handbasket with the inflation, everything that that hasn't manifest itself. And if so, it wound up being all right. But I'm looking at 2023 as being the best year mm -hmm. ever. I can go into the details of why that is. But that's for our, my business and my wife's business. Um, but also for my clients. Um, people are pretty, pretty enthusiastic and ready to have 2022 behind us. Yeah. I think for myself, well, one, my dad is great and he's probably a, uh, a leader in positive thinking, but anytime it's his birthday or it's a new year, like if he's turning 65, um, or if it's my birthday and I'm turning 32 or whatever, Say, oh man, yeah. Research says that thirty-two is the best year, like best year of your life. <laughs> Every year he says the same thing. Thirty, thirty-seven, best year of your life. You're gonna love it. Research shows yeah. that like people are happiest at thirty-seven. You know, and he does that, and he'll say it to anybody, and they'll believe and it. And it's like too. amazing to see how that changes he, their thinking. Um, oh yeah. But then also he'll do that for the new year. He'll say, I'll ask like, yeah, how was your new year? He's like. You know, that I'm so excited. Everybody keeps saying that this is going to be the year. This is this is the year that everything's going to go so well. And so, anyways, I felt that from you a little bit that 2023 is going to be the best year. And if you think it, it probably will be. Um, it, yeah. it will be. But I think also, I've seen some. You know, I get to work with some businesses that are really tied to mortgages and interest rates, and I think those businesses are struggling quite a bit. Um, I think that if you're a contractor and you're really tied to new construction, there is a housing shortage. So you will be able to probably still do some new construction work, but it's not going to be as wide open. I'm hearing from a lot of people that, you know, they used to be able to 
one, they you weren't even taking bids a lot of the time because they were so swamped. But they used to be able to just throw a number out there and it was it was sold because uh, it was so busy. But that's changing. They're having to you know really watch their margins and uh, watch what they're they're bidding because people are taking the lowest bidder again because it's kind of open up opened up. But I think that this is a really for, for a lot of businesses, this is where they're going to have to really focus on their books more than ever. They're really going to have to pay attention to their expenses. Um, I think inflation combined with interest rates for construction companies is going to make it a little bit challenging if you're not paying attention to those things. And you're going to see a lot of people probably just bidding work to get work. And if you can avoid that at all costs, yeah. that... Until they run out yeah. of money. I, I will say this, I do have a builder, a uh, pretty substantial builder as a client in a mortgage company. And pretty, matter of fact, me working with the builder, my emphasis always is on build yeah. times. Get the damn thing built, yeah. <laughs> get your money back. That's the biggest single expense and uh, controllable expense is interest that you pay. Uh, but I was concentrating on getting his balance sheet reduced, inventory down, cash up, debt off the books which meant retract, 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 lay off and all this. He wound up selling nine times more houses than I thought. Wow. I said, well, you have to make concessions, yeah, but he still had healthy markets. So that was a surprise, and that's still going on. And the mortgage companies, uh, it's not at all like it was boom and bust last year. You know, all you had to do is throw a hook in the water and you caught a trout. But there's an uptick in that as well. I think people are optimistic resolving themselves. If interest rates go to seven and they go back down to six, they go, Hey, interest rates. are Yeah. Right. And then refinance, you know, but people still have to live places and they can do it by rent or, I mean, they're all the issues they've got qualified for X amount of debt, but it has not wound up being the disaster that was easy to imagine. At least not yet. At least not yet. Well, and it, uh, that that's pretty negative. Yeah, at least not yet is really negative. <laughs> at least not yet. No, no. It's not a disaster and it's there not going to be. How's that? Yeah, it's only a disaster yeah. if you think it is, right? Um, even whenever times yeah. are bad, you can still find a silver lining. And yeah. again, we are in Oklahoma. It's a lot different from state to state, especially coast to coast. Um, we'd love to hear from listeners on what things are like for them, stories about jobs getting canceled or postponed or, you know, material pricing, um, you know, what the supply chain's like, uh, what they're seeing inside their companies with employees and hiring people, having let people go, whatever it might be. So if you've got stories of what it's like in your neck of the woods, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear that and talk about it. Um, and two other uh, calls to action. Oh, yeah. You, you, you gave One us a hook earlier that you had a good it. call to action. Yeah. Well, I have two now. Uh, one is to spend a few minutes and think about that red, yellow, green okay. criteria. Yep. Uh, that is brilliant, and you ought to be able to do that pretty quickly. Write it down. Uh, refine it a little bit if you want for a few days, and then make it known. The second one is go to chatgdp.com or openai. Chat.openai. Chat. It's in the show notes. Right. And and any question you want, any any. How big should the diamond be for my son's fiance? I don't know. <laughs> that would anything. Just try it. And 
I've got a few clients. I've, your influence spreads, Khalil, because I've told a few clients about it. They're coming back. They go, hey, that thing's pretty yeah. interesting. And it'll only get better and better. The only bad part of it is sometimes the answers are pretty white bread, yeah. you know. But sometimes they're really insightful, but I'm just anticipating the more and more it gets used, the better and better the answers will be. Yeah, I think the best way to use it, for me at least, is just thinking about something that you need to do and then asking the AI to do it. So if that's writing an email, right. if that's um, coming up with a plan, if that's um, you know coming up with a meeting agenda, those are things that I've done recently. Um, if it's coming up with advice for somebody, like somebody asks me a question, I sometimes just throw it into ChatGBT, and oftentimes it's not giving me the final answer, but it's at least getting my train of thought. Like, oh yeah, Get like we started. used it a couple of yeah, weeks ago good. for a episode of like, what should we talk about? And it, I don't want to say that it dictated exactly what we said, but it definitely came up with an outline for us. So, yeah, right, pretty valuable. Well, Martin, always good talking to you. Glad you made it back from Idaho uh, eventually and hope that you're able to get through all the yeah. accumulation that you have from your extended vacay. I, well, I, I absolutely will. I just might grumble a little bit while I'm doing it. All right. We'll see you around. Okay. See you, man. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.